Hi everyone, I'm Amelia Quint, and you're listening to Bad Astrologers, where we take a cultural, spiritual, literary, and mythological look at the heavens. Can you believe we finally made it to the last month of 2020? It's such a relief, and with Saturn and Jupiter changing signs soon, there are a lot of major shifts on the way. If you're curious about what this month's astrology has in store for you, consider becoming a Patreon supporter. There are three super affordable tiers, each named for asteroid goddesses, of course, and you'll get perks like exclusive monthly forecasts and horoscopes, terascopes for each astrological season, and the opportunity to ask a question about your personal natal chart in one of the Q&A videos. Also, this is an independent production, and we've recently made a few upgrades to Bad Astro HQ to ensure you get the best quality content and research in 2021. So know that your contribution makes a massive difference in what we're able to give back to you. And it's no secret that the Bad Astrology supporters are the best around, so if you're ready to join the coolest coven on the internet, head over to patreon.com badastro and stay for a spell. Also, I want to say thank you so very much to everyone who's listened to the show this year and since the beginning. Seeing Bad Astro on your 2020 Spotify unwrapped top five list was surreal, and I'm over the moon that these episodes spoke to you or maybe even made your life more magical during a tough year. If you feel up to it, leaving a positive review on iTunes is a free but extremely potent way to help more people find the show and fall in love with it. And as always, be sure to follow at Bad Astrologers on Instagram and Twitter to stay up to date on the latest releases. I am so excited about the episodes we have planned for the rest of the year and early 2021, and I promise you won't want to miss them. And now, time for the episode. Sarah Faith Goddess Steiner is an artist, designer, writer, teacher, and tarot reader. You've probably seen her elegant, unmistakable Many Moons planners and Lunar Journal on Instagram, or maybe you've used one to plan your year ahead. Her debut book, simply entitled The Moon Book, will be released on December 15th. As we talk about in this episode, it's a love letter of sorts, diving into the beautifully interwoven and ever-evolving symbolism around the moon, and what that means for practitioners of lunar magic at any skill level. This podcast often explores the crossroads where astrology meets witchcraft, and that's what this conversation is all about. We chat about nourishing your magical gifts, braving eclipses, and Sarah's own journey through this year's tough transits. It's wholehearted and deep, just like the energy of the moon itself. So sit back, relax your shoulders, take a deep breath, and let's start the show. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining me on Bad Astrologers today. Thank you so much for having me, Amelia. I'm so excited to get this chance to speak with you. It's going to be really fun. I'm really looking forward to it. I've read your forthcoming book, uh, The Moon Book, and I think it's a topic that is so important and so needed. And y'all listening know that I love lunar magic. So we'll definitely dive into that. But before we do, I want to ask about you. (laughs) Um, So the traditional first bad astrologers question is, what is your earliest memory of being drawn to the spiritual side of life, whether that's astrology or tarot or witchcraft or something else? Mm, You know, I think 
I always sort of share that I came to tarot and witchcraft in my early 20s. I think that many people can relate to being sensitive or artistic or feeling a little bit out of step with, um, for lack of better words, like society. Mm -hmm. And so when I was young, I always sort of felt a little bit different. And over time, spirituality, witchcraft, tarot was a way for me to get back in touch with my intuition, my specific psychic abilities. Uh, it gave me solace. It gave me healing. And I think especially now, we're going to only be seeing this more and more, you know, the importance of a intentional, magical or spiritual practice in people's lives that that are that is a practice that one cultivates on their own for themselves through a variety of different means, uh, weaving together their ancestral background, weaving together their particular interests and weaving together their own unique particular gifts. I think that's going to be one of the ways we move through and we can evolve and grow. And so I just feel grateful um, that I had the gift of finding these tools when I was relatively young so that I would always have them in some way, form, shape. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when you said get back in touch with your intuition, is it something that you were connected to this earlier in life and sort of pushed it away as, oh, that's just imagination? Or are you talking about like on a societal level, this is something that we have deeply inherent within us, but have sort of turned away from? I think both. I think many people can relate to having experiences when they were young of, like you said, imagination, um, maybe visitations, maybe even just a very simple, blissful interaction with nature or with an animal or, you know, um, something very simple. And then over time, we, not all of us, but some of us get separated from that, right? Um, mm -hmm. We aren't taught. I hate speaking in generalizations. Uh, I'm not taught and I've encountered many people who weren't taught to both nurture, nourish, protect, and utilize their specific intuition and all of the ways that it flows through. And I would argue that our society actually, you know, our society profits off us being disconnected from our power and our intuition. And I would argue our compassion <laughs> and our humanity. And so, you know, there are very real reasons why. And I, you know, as you know, Amelia, I I write about this a bit in the book, right? I yes. do believe that like our intuition, our spiritual practice is quite political, you know? 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I was just noting that I thought what you said just then was so beautiful and the words that you were using like nurture and nourish, protect and utilizing compassion, all of those are very lunar words. They're so um, deeply, um, inextricably connected with the moon and and how that works. So I want to switch gears for a second and I want to give the audience a little um, clue about your natal chart um, because I feel like it's really important to the conversation that we're about to have about your book. Um, so you're a Cancer Sun um, with Mercury retrograde conjuncture Sun and of course um, Cancer is ruled by the moon. So I feel like that's the perfect alignment. You're sort of the ideal person to be diving into the moon. Um, and then you have a Gemini moon, which I also share, um, with your, your Venus and Ceres both there as well, which to me, that's, that's finding beauty and nourishment in writing about the moon in this very specific way. So, and you, this is not the first time you've sort of used the moon as, as a muse, you know, there are the lovely mini moons, um, planners. So I just wanted to ask as a very broad question, as we dive into talking about your book, why the moon? I know the book is very much, there is an actual love letter to the moon in the book, but mm -hmm. in your spoken words, like, why did you choose Luna for this? Wow, what a question. <laughs> so, well, there's a couple of things, right? Um, there's the there's the symbolic utilization of the moon, which is a way of existing and being in the world that is cyclical, mm -hmm. that is that is a spiral, that is circular, that is forever changing and growing and blooming and dying and resting. Uh, there's also this beautiful symbolism of the moon as being non-binary, right? Not mm -hmm. either or, uh, not on and off, but in process. And I really believe that we're, we're reconnecting to paradigms that are non-binary, right? We're understanding, mm -hmm. um, again, sort of that we've maybe been cut off from nature, some of us, and in being cut off from nature, we forget that we are nature. And so to respect the natural parts of ourselves, which are our intuition, our natural intelligence, and the fact that we go through seasons, cycles, times of growth, times of rest, times of integration, and so on and so forth. The moon is this perfect symbol. You know, I go on and on in the book about all of the symbolism of the moon, which is about timing. As an intuitive person and as a psychic person, the moon is the closest uh, cosmic friend we have that affords us a reflection into our own energetic patterns, right? Like because mm -hmm. it's connected to our water, which is connected to our body, which is connected to our intuition, our emotional states, our somatic states, our heart, and so on and so forth. And then like from a, from a selfish level, 
you know, I share also in the book that while I was a witch before I was a moon witch, I, when I started working with the phases of the moon holistically in the way that I outline in the book and the way that I've taught, you know, thousands of folks, I, the results I saw were like uh, almost unbelievable. So um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to share that. I wanted to share what I found. I wanted to think about the moon also as a holistic cycle. And I wanted to offer up moon magic as a holistic cycle because I believe that that's the most effective way to work with the moon. And it's the certainly for me, the moon is also this symbol of transformation from the inside out. And that, Mm -hmm. of course, as you also know, Amelia, that's how our magic is most effective, right? If we mimic like a patriarchal way of working our magic, which is that like, I want the external thing is going to help my internal, then we're always going to be spinning our wheels looking for the next external thing. And I'm saying this as someone who spent many years spinning their wheels looking for the next external thing, right? And then you're like, wait a minute, this isn't quite right. You know, like maybe I want to try something different. And so the model I kind of offer is is magic from the inside out uh, as a means a as a means of creating integration and alignment around your own uniques, y- your own soul's unique path, destiny, journey, healing, all of the things. I love that so much. And I also I I did note that I, one of the things that I love about the book is there are these really interesting um, sort of case studies with folks who you had worked with and helped teach um, moon magic practices, which is really just, you know, following the phases of the moon. And there are other, of course, tips that Sarah shares. Um, but it, it was amazing to see their transformation as this like proof positive of this moon magic really does work. Um, you know, I think a lot of times, like you said, we're so focused on, we can be really focused on the external, you know, what do, what material things do I want to manifest next is the language that's often used and that there's value in that. And it's totally okay to desire and want material things, but remember it's, the book is very much this process of, it felt like a remembering to me that the moon is, is so many things and it is deeply complex, but it is also connected to interiority and who we are on the inside so that we can transform from the inside out. So while we're talking about phases of the moon, um, I this is something that people ask me a lot. And it's, it's fascinating because in astrology, astrology there are um, ways to work with the phases of the moon, but it is more of a uh, spiritual, magical, witchcraft traditions. So tell us a little bit about um, the phases of the moon and how you use those to plan your magic rituals or to work your magic. Yeah, so the way that I work with the moon, if, if I'm going to be doing magic, let me back up and say also in the book <laughs> and, in, and in my practice, you know, there's really no wrong way, right? Like I, there's, Absolutely. there's no wrong way to work with anything really as lo- as long as you're being respectful and intentional. Um, and 
considering it a relationship, right? Uh, instead of sort of mm -hmm. an extractive sort of power over model. Um, so one thing I just want to say is like, if you want to just only light your candle at the full moon, great. If you only <laughs> want to, you know, I don't know, do a meditation at the new moon, great. Like show up for your practice in the way that you would like to show up. The way that I teach is that for most effectiveness, we work with a cycle holistically. We work through and with every cycle. And again, I'm going to back up even more. And I always advise folks to spend at least one lunation, if not more, really taking note of how you feel and what your energy patterns are around each phase of the moon. Um, folks will report back that like during a phase that traditionally you're say supposed to feel exhausted or something like the waning moon phase, they feel amazing. They feel great, you know? So it's really, I think it's most important to check in with how you feel. And of course that will change depending on the season or where you're at in your life and all of these things. But over time, because the moon is a timekeeper, right? Like it was the, mm -hmm. the globe first calendar and many calendars are still lunar uh, to this day, obviously across the globe, across many cultures. But so check in because over time you will see, hey, actually about four days after a new moon, I feel incredible. I feel amazing. Like I want to write a chapter of my book or I want to, you know, like brainstorm what I want for like the rest of the year or I want to clean my house or whatever. I am such a proponent of working with your own energy and not what a book or, you know, the internet or anything else is telling you, right? So I just want to say that first. I have to co-sign that, that so yeah. much. That is so very true. And it's beautiful to hear you say it. I didn't mean to interrupt. Go on. No, no. Interrupt away. You know, <laughs> I can, if there's one thing I can talk about for a long time, it's, it's, it's my moon friend. So anyway, <laughs> so the way that I came up with this holistic way is you can start at any time. It, you don't need to start at a new moon. Uh, I actually prefer to start around a full moon. Um, and I kind of share about why in the book. But the idea is to work through one lunation. Obviously, if you want to time it astrologically, meaning like, say you're a Taurus moon and you want to time it with, say, a Taurus new moon or a Taurus full moon, um, or, you know, any other um, astrological archetype or any other magical archetype that resonates with you, go for it. Or if you want to work with it seasonal, you know that maybe in the springtime, you are going to be focusing more on external growth. Maybe in the wintertime, you're going to be focusing more on shadow work and, uh, you know, working with your subconscious and on and on and on. So you can time it that way as well. But the way that I suggest folks work with the moon is that they align their actions and their levels and layers of consciousness work and their emotional work with the phases of the moon. So from new to full, which is traditionally the waxing phase where the light grows across the face of the moon, the water rises, energy generally tends to accumulate 
we work on growth. We work on uh, being conscious. We work on uh, external uh, behaviors and actions that are in alignment with our goal. And then generally during the waning moon time, we go within, we work on internal healing, we work on subconscious integration, we do a lot of clearing away magic all around this one theme of our, uh, of, of this one goal or one desire. And by doing so, you're getting a 360 degree opportunity to engage with a desire, a goal, a dream, a healing that you want. And I've just found it to be, I mean, it's just so effective um, in my own life and in folks that I've worked with that, again, it's like, I wouldn't really do it any other way. But also what I will say is I don't do it that way a lot because we also need the time to like integrate it. Like, you know this, Amelia, like when you step into magic, you don't always know what's going to come back to you. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. Totally. You have to give it that space to find out okay, what is going to come of this? Like, what is the energy going to feel like? I totally get that. You know, so it's not like, okay, I mean, I've never done this. To be honest, I've wanted to become such a powerful witch that I could do this. The goal is to like (laughs) make it for like one year, like one lunation around a topic, you know, like home, health, uh, love, intuition, abundance, you know, like, That would be literally like the goal for me. I can maybe do this at most like seasonally because you have to allow for integration. You have to allow for healing. You have to allow for adjustment. But it would be, I mean, one thing that maybe I will try is more of a a lighter kind of version in terms of maybe trying rituals around lunations or activities around lunations, which are, which are obviously things that all magical folks do. But Mm -hmm. uh, I just want to kind of give that caveat once we're, since we're talking about this process. No, I think that's really good to remind people, like, do not have any illusions that like, I'll speak for myself. I'm definitely not every single new full waxing moon doing a tailored specific astrologically themed working like you have to give your body and your psyche time to recover and also like sarah was talking about um i feel like sometimes magically we can get involved accidentally in the sort of magical striving right of like how many manifestations can i rack up (laughs) or you know well, I'm just going to do it just to do it. And I think the the most important thing is to do it because you feel called, do it because it feels good to you, um, and not because it's just ticking off like a, a magical box. Um, yeah. Yeah, because it can get, I mean, it can get pretty exciting. I mean, people, it's funny, like I'm an incredibly practical person. I am from the East Coast. I was not raised in some kind of, you know, hippie counterculture environment. (laughs) So I wouldn't, I I just think it's funny that there's this, I come across 
a perception of magic as being like fairy cosplay or something or like what I'm yes, trying to say is absolutely. What I'm, like just not real or something. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I am the last person on earth who would waste their time and their energy on something that does not facilitate profound awakenings, transformation, healing, change, realizations, you know, like, so Mm -hmm. it's just once you, once you begin, I mean, a lot of witches I know, they can sometimes chalk up an incredible result or outcome as like beginner's luck or, you know, like disbelief. But if you keep going um, down this path, this is like, this is my life. You know what I mean? So I also am like, this is real. And I don't also, I also don't think we have to know why it works in order to appreciate mm-hmm. the, the impact and the potency and the power. Absolutely. I love that you called it uh, the sort of misunderstanding that people have of uh, like a fairy tale fairy witch cosplay um and i totally have encountered that i live in south carolina and so um i encounter all kinds of stereotypes about what it is that we do and and that's okay because the truth is like you said we don't have to know why it works but it does work and i think in the same way that we were talking about don't do it don't do it just to do it like that's especially important important because magic is real and it will have very real effects on your actual life so intentionality is everything um and it makes it more special too like i like thinking of it as like a magical layer cake right and so if i have a working that i want to do i'm like well I want to make sure that it is on a Friday for Venus's day. And maybe if I could get a day that somehow resonates with the number three, which goes along with the Empress, and maybe it'll be a day where the moon is in a Venus rolled sign, all of those sort of, maybe the moon will be full or waxing, which is more associated with beauty and pleasure. Um, all of those things can totally help. Um, yeah. And also, you know, like, it took me a while to get here uh, or get to what the statement I'm going to say, but what you're saying, Amelia, I want to share this thing too, is like for me, once I started realizing that the spell or the working or the ritual in itself as a container, not needed to, but maybe it was just more pleasurable like if if the working itself, if the container of the ritual or the spell itself was healing in some way, uh, that was even like that was just enough as well, you know. And so I mm-hmm. am in this phase now where I'm actually just sort of trying to enjoy the process of it, uh, you know, and not and not feel like it's. Mm, let go like i've been trying to in all aspects of my life which this is like absolutely a lifelong learning for me but i've really been trying to detach from any kind of expectation so Mm -hmm. i'm like okay well if i'm detaching from all expectation then all i have is what i can enjoy and what i can experience and what i can learn and all I have is the ability to give myself what I need 
whether that's through, you know, self-care practices, boundaries, or a magical working. So I've really been trying to explore that as well as like having a spell be a tiny container of whatever outcome I need in the moment and hoping that over time, that energy will ripple outward in ways that I can't always foresee, but hopefully will always enjoy. Absolutely. And the really magical stuff happens when that does occur. You know, maybe there was something in the way you worded the the spell or the working, or maybe there was an element that you included and you, were, you weren't sure why, and it, it blossoms out into something really, really special over time. Um, yeah. I, I love it. And I think people are going to love the book is broken out um, by phases of the moon. And so as you're planning your lunar rituals, if you're, if you're new to the practice or just want some fresh inspiration, there's all kinds of things. And I'm definitely going to be playing around with it under this upcoming Taurus full moon, um, which I'm so excited about. Um, I have a question about eclipses because I know you talk about eclipses in the book. Um, and we have an eclipse season just around the corner in uh, a month from today, actually. Um, so eclipses are like super powered moon moments. So how do you relate to eclipses, both personally and magically? Oh, my goodness. The, uh, <laughs> a big question. The most controversial uh, question, I feel like. You know, like, I had I to feel, ask. I want to preface feel, this to you and everyone by saying there is no correct answer to the eclipse question, which is why we're talking about it. <laughs> right. So I want to preface this again by saying this is just me speaking. Mm -hmm. uh, this is where I'm at right now with it. I also want to preface this by saying like, there are a number of subjects that I talk about that result in me getting like threats, uh, being called horrible names, um, <gasps> you know, oh my God. Like, and, and well, I mean, that's life on the internet for you anyway. Yeah. But what I was going to say is what those are, are when I talk about racism and race, when I talk about politics, when I talk about uh, ending violence, war, and specifically like banning guns. Wow. And when I talk, and when I talk about eclipses, eclipses oh my God. are like <laughs> banning guns and eclipses are apparently the same. I thought you were also going to say sexuality because for me, when I talk oh. about sexuality, that that can result in some interesting name calling and threats too. But oh my, I God. promise this like is a safe container. <laughs> I'm like, can people just get a hobby? Like, it's so, so I just want to say that like, um, as like, this is, this is another thing I'm going to say. I said it about the moon and I'll say it about eclipses. I really suggest that through an eclipse season or through a variety of eclipse seasons, like say over a year's time that you really tune in and like, see what's coming up for you see mm -hmm. how your body is responding, see what um, you feel like doing, right? Because it's, it's highly personal. But I have been fascinated with eclipses for a very long time. And that is because in my own personal life, in my clients' lives, and in my friends' lives, eclipses were 
when stuff really happened, people uh, decided to leave jobs. People, maybe jobs, you know, fired them. People decided that they were moving. Uh, people were in the middle of a move. Uh, mm -hmm. People were, you know, deciding to speak out against some injustice or, you know, really heightened, intense situations that created large change externally and internally in my life. I can't even name how many times an eclipse has uh, aligned with me deciding to move or having to move or being in the middle of a move or I just moved or some kind of shocking information, you know, that I had to deal with yep. that ended up either bringing me a huge lesson or a healing or uh, or or uh, to be honest, like distraction and hardship, you know, so like really intense stuff. Um, and so I think that's, I think there's a couple of things of why eclipses are thought to be terrifying. And um, one of those, I believe, is sort of this leftover, I'm just going to say it, uh, misogyny associated with the moon. Because like when we're talking about eclipses and what's actually happening, at a solar eclipse, we're literally talking about the moon covering the sun. And in a lot of ancient cultures, not all of them, but some, the sun was very much associated with the king or with a pope or mm -hmm. with a priest or with a very powerful masculine leader. And a lot of times in my research around the book and in my own life, just around eclipses, eclipses often were used to herald the death or uh, some kind of war or hardship associated with a king or a masculine leader, even if that eclipse happened a year later, even if that eclipse happened, you know, even if, I'm sorry, even if the eclipse happened and then there was like a war six months later or whatever, uh, uh -huh. that would, there would be this um, correlation between that. Um, not all cultures see uh, eclipses as bad, of course. Um, all of them see eclipses as powerful because anyone who has beheld even a partial eclipse or has experienced their body uh, being exhausted or being even more emotional or, uh, you know, nervous system stuff, like all of that, like we've all experienced that, like if we if we're paying attention. So there's that um, the the astrologer who who really got me thinking about working with eclipses as healing opportunities was Dane Rudiar, who's a pretty well-known astrologer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so what Dane Rudiar posits, again, this is just a theory. All of this is theories. Um, <laughs> and he was, a, he was a problematic guy, as many white men from the 20th century were um, and still are. You know, I'm not I'm not co-signing on every last thing that everyone said, but this is a, to me, this is a very interesting theory. And what he says is at a solar eclipse, the moon is casting a shadow on the sun, meaning that either our past or our subconscious is coming up through our consciousness in order to be utilized, integrated, healed, looked at differently in the present moment 
so that we can take different actions moving forward in order to facilitate a different kind of pattern in our life. At a lunar eclipse, he posits that the earth, the shadow of the earth, as we know, is casting a, a light on the moon, which means the present moment is available to us and can so-called like cover um, it, whatever past woundings or whatever sort of limiting beliefs or you know whatever patterns we have taken on in our body and our psyche and our consciousness in order to expand and grow. And we do know, obviously, just from a symbolic, if we're just if we're just zooming out without magic, without astrology, what is happening is shadows are coming to the light. Um, sh uh, shadows are at the forefront. There is obscuring. Mm -hmm. Eclipse literally means to like move past, you know, um, and it's it's a different kind of energy that we're working with. So, you know, I, once I started thinking about eclipses as this healing opportunity to break patterns, to engage in maybe core wounds I've had in a very different way, I found there to be some solace, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And also, again, like to this day, a lot of witches, because witchcraft and magic is about energy and working in collaboration with energy, a lot of magical practitioners say never work magic around an eclipse because the energy is unknown to us you know mm -hmm. i would i would say dip your toe in maybe you want to do a ritual maybe you want to do a meditation i personally have found that divination work is very interesting around eclipses i have personally found that when i'm looking to clear something um, it gets cleared. And as you know, Amelia, sometimes like not by my choice, like, you know, like yes, absolutely. <laughs> energy is going to move what needs to get taken out of your life. And, and we're creatures of habit and it's sometimes difficult for us to deal with change. So what we're really dealing with at eclipse season oftentimes is our reactions and our feelings about the change that is in quotes, like happening to us. And last but not least, Amelia, like you're super mature and like you're super conscious of your energy, but not everybody is. So eclipse season, we're going to see people totally. acting out of trauma, <laughs> like trauma response. We're going to see people acting out of like their past life or their like ingrained emotional responses. We're going to see people who maybe don't always understand what's happening in their nervous systems or their bodies reacting in ways around us. You know, um, and that's what I think, like, we need to just be mindful of. I think that eclipse season is a really great time to discern what is a projection from someone else and what is our truth. And it's also a really great time to act in ways that facilitate some kind of nervous system or healing or energy take back or, you know, some kind of like breaking of a contract, silent or otherwise, that limits us from utilizing our own energy and our own power. And that's also why I think maybe some folks kind of fear that time, you know? Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. That was such a 
such a gorgeous description of how eclipses operate and just how people tend to behave near them. And you were so right. I eclipses, the astrological way of thinking about it is that eclipses follow the move, the moving of the nodal axis. So the north and the south node. Um, and like you were talking about past life, um, trauma response, ingrained patterns getting activated. Um, that's really the work of the south node. It's either going to be on the south node or with the north node opposite that point, asking us to go towards our destiny and do better. Um, and I, I think about the nodes as being this, yeah, like an axis of fate. It's the, the times in your life when the universe just throws you a curveball and it's up to you to make the decision of how you're going to act. Are you going to act out of, out of fear and out of, the ingrained patterns that you have? Or are you going to make a new pattern? And are you going to do what you said, Sarah, recognize what is your stuff? <laughs> um, and what is maybe somebody else's shadow? Um, but eclipses are such powerful times. I am in agreement with you. You said dip a toe in. I think that's the smartest way to do it. Eclipses are, are so powerful. And like every powerful thing, it's kind of like, you you can cook soup on the stove or you could accidentally touch the burner and burn your hand, right? So yeah, I mean I think that the other thing again like for for folks listening is like spend maybe an eclipse season or even a year if you're interested in this and just notice what is coming up for you and like to be clear I've had eclipse seasons where literally nothing happens, you know, like it's like, okay, yeah, like maybe I'm a little more tired, maybe I'm a little bit more wired, you know, and or I've had like gorgeous moments where I've hiked up to the top of a mountain at 3am to watch like, you know, a, a blood moon, you know, and mm -hmm. it was just incredible being around other people who wanted to experience and witness that and just being in awe of nature. Uh, you know, I've had any number of experiences, but like, I think just noticing what is coming up for you and trying to connect the dots, if we're talking astrologically, between what might be happening to you in your life and what archetypally is happening with, with the eclipse, you know? So like, for example, mm -hmm. this is the example I use all the time, but I'm, do you mind if I use it? Here? Go for it. I would love to hear it. So at the last, it's funny, I'm going to talk about this on my podcast too. The, the, the like pop culture moment that I think about that can illustrate one way that eclipse season can be very hard and very disruptive, but maybe ultimately healing was the eclipse season we had last year. I think it was, I'm pretty sure it was on the Cancer Capricorn node. And yes. that was when, that was when Meg, Megan and Harry decided to leave the monarchy. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited to talk to you about this. Go on. Yes. <laughs> oh, like I'm going to say this again on my pod, but I'm like, okay, so we have obviously structures, systems, Capricorn, uh, ancestry, lineage, legacy, Capricorn. We have mother, family, nurturing, healing, cancer. And we have this like almost like, you know, I'm getting like chills, like thinking about 
Harry's legacy. And again, uh, for the record, folks, I'm not down with imperialism or the monarchy, but this is just such a great example that it's like you can't make this stuff up. Definitely. Mm -hmm. We have this like we have this like strong feminine outsider, Megan, you know, who comes in and we have um, we have this healing opportunity for Harry to look at his life, think about his own mother, which he was very close to, who was also a cancer, who was horribly, you know, uh, killed uh, because of some of the same situations that were starting to happen with his wife, all happening at the time of like his child being born. So they make this decision to say like, I mean, they're doing what almost no one ever does. They're leaving a monarchy, you know, like this is real eclipse stuff happening, uh, I think. And of course it was difficult and hard and I know it was not easy for them. I know none of this has been easy for them. And also it was ultimately healing because they were taking their power back and saying, actually, this is what's best for our family. This is what's going to keep us like protected, safe, intact and empowered. And we're choosing to do this thing uh, that makes sense to us. What, what's your take on it? Oh, I just, I use this example with my students as well. I think like, like you said, it's such a beautiful example of the eclipse archetypes and the energy of an eclipse of sort of changes to rulership and kings and queens and such playing out in our, our world and our lives. Um, but especially for Megan, who's a cancer what, there were these three, um, every summer there was a cancer eclipse, a new moon eclipse. And obviously new moon eclipses are for changes and transformations and drastic new beginnings. And at each one, she became um, the wife of Harry, uh, a duchess, and then became a mother. And then mm. at the last one became an independent woman with sort of looking after her own family together with Harry. So um, anytime someone is going through an eclipse cycle like that, where it's either in their sign or they're just curious how it might go, that's such a, that it took place on the world stage that way is just so amazing. And it shows that, you know, eclipses can be painful and they can hurt, but the healing that was able to take place because of that, hurt was so much more than staying in that dangerous place. So yeah. And it. like, and like the ancestral healing that might've took place yeah. for both mm. of them, you know, it just, it was really remarkable where I was like, yeah, that is an example we can use where, like you said, Amelia, it's not easy or fun. Eclipses rarely are, you know, even if nothing mm -hmm. is happening in your life, the energy I've experienced is, intense for lack of a better word so even like even if nothing is happening in your life you might be more exhausted or irritable or tired or feeling a little bit like your emotions are all over the map and you're not sure what's happening um so that's why i always suggest that folks just sort of take time to be a bit more mindful around uh eclipse season so that you can work with your own responses and take care of yourself Absolutely. Do you mind if I ask you a question about your own natal chart and the Cancer Capricorn axis? Yeah, you know, I don't know anything about my chart, so you can maybe tell me. <laughs> but you can Okay, maybe I can. I was just curious because your chart is very much at the epicenter of what we were just talking about. Your Cancer um, Sun with your Mercury retrograde right there, and then 
Um, opposite that is your your midheaven and Capricorn. And the midheaven is like, uh, it's one of the angles in the chart. Um, it's the point that's associated with your career and public life. And it's not so much the job you have as it is the legacy that you want to leave. Like, what is the stamp that you want to be on the world when you're not here anymore? And it's um, just very, very potent stuff. And since it's right there at 28 degrees Capricorn and um, with your sun being opposite it, like you've been absolutely walloped by this year's astrology um, with Jupiter oh, and Saturn me, and Pluto all hanging out there. Um, tell me, so, I, so what? I want to know. <laughs> you tell me, what does a walloping, and for listeners, if listeners yes. want to know, what does a walloping feel or look like? And then I can report back uh, how it's been. Um, well, for the walloping started, I guess, three years ago with the, um, the eclipse cycle in Cancer and Capricorn going on in the nodes there, um, just dredging up all of your stuff around, again, uh, legacy and career and the mark that you want to make, um, counterbalanced by who do you want to be emotionally, right? Like what sort of emotional healing needs to take place in order for you to feel stable and nourished and frankly, able to carry out those things that I just mentioned that are the big ambitious dreams. Um, and so that eclipse cycle is really you, you know, through thick and thin and up and down balancing out the, it is the work-life balance axis. Um, mm. so trying to, figure out the right equilibrium. And I'm sure there were times where you felt like one was way out of balance with the other and you had to really quickly, it can be times when either you get a big work opportunity and you're like, sorry, fam, I'm gonna have to take this time and do this thing or something comes up with a family or people who feel like family, like your coven sisters or something like that, who are like, I need you right now, I'm not well, or um, I have this news and I need support, or you could just need emotional support due to burnout, which could totally completely happen with this. So that was the eclipse piece. And then, um, Saturn and Pluto are, they're tough cookies in astrology. Um, Saturn is responsibility and structure and, and growth and maturity. And those are things that sound good on paper and even look good on paper, but don't feel good to carry out, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think about it as kind of cosmically going to the gym and, mm -hmm. you know, you're like, I'm going to be so healthy. I need to do this to make my heart healthy or to sleep better or feel less anxiety or whatever your goal is for your fitness. Um, but you know, Saturn's are like, do one more, do one more. And you're already dri dripping sweat and you're tired and it, it's exhausting. But after your Saturn transit, you get to look back and be like, wow, I look and feel amazing. Um, but the process is definitely a weightlifting challenge. Um, you know, and there's a lot of restriction that goes along with Saturn transiting Capricorn. It's like, you have these limits that you're like, I don't want to, especially with the Gemini moon, I can relate. You are just like, I want to be free. I want to, I want to do everything that my mind can think of. Um, and with Saturn and Pluto hanging out on your midheaven, you can, but it's going to be a long, slow building process. Um, yeah. How, how long are they going to be there for the rest of my life? Cause I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably felt like for the rest of your life. So Pluto moved there in 2008 and will stay mm -hmm. for a few more years yet until about 2023, 2024, 
um, depending on the retrograde cycle. Um, Saturn moved in in 2017, I believe, 2018, Mm -hmm. as I think it was the very end of the year that year. Um, And then Saturn's going to move on um, at the end of this year um, in mid-December. So you only have like a few more weeks of Saturn in your sign um, or in your mid-heaven sign. That's also when my book comes out. So I feel like there's some sort of, yeah. So everything you're describing is totally spot on. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, a lot of, I mean, I, I dealt with a lot of burnout and then that resulted in me, uh, like trying to recover my workaholism, which then Mm. resulted in me. And to be clear, like mm, my workaholism wasn't really workaholism in the beginning because I loved what I did so much. Like I could just do it all day long. And the fact that I made money off of it was like, that's how it starts. Yep. (laughs) That's how it starts. And then it just became, like you said, like not really knowing my um, physical limits until I knew them very strongly. So yeah, Mm -hmm. everything you're saying is true. Thinking about, you know, like you said, legacy. I think that, um, a lot of deep thought, a lot of consideration, a lot of maneuvering, a lot of reflection. And also, like, to be honest, a lot of lessons learned in ways that were incredibly heartbreaking and incredibly um, just really learning the hard way, really learning those lessons that you never want to learn again. So you're going to learn them, you know? (laughs) That that really, a lot of stuff around contracts, a lot of stuff around uh, intellectual property, a lot of stuff Mm -hmm. around like owning artistry, like like understanding how, um, for me personally, what's most important is feeling like I do have ownership over my my artistry, but also my time and my decisions. And I was in a number of situations where I wasn't afforded that, uh, that privilege. So that's what I mean when I say like, you know, just lessons learned the hard way. Like you, you're like, okay, I didn't actually realize how important this was to me until it was completely taken away from me, like, you know, thrown in my face, like, you know, like, so a lot of kind of like recalibration and regrouping and understanding. Uh, I think this is a very Capricorn lesson, like understanding the importance of going slow. Yes, absolutely. And like, it is you know, felt like this, everything in Capricorn transit has taken forever because oh, it of felt that like that slow feeling. It's felt like that for me and a lot of my clients. They're like, why is this still happening? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so, so interesting yes. that you mentioned contracts because this is all happening opposite your Mercury, which is retrograde. Um, and obviously Mercury retrograde has implications for like learning details about contracts that you maybe didn't recognize before. And with Saturn there, it's like hard lessons relating to that. Sometimes astrology is so literal. It freaks me out. I know. Well, also like, I think a lot about the spectrum of contracts, which is that we have like, we have these contracts on paper, but we also have like societal contracts, right? Like mm-hmm. you you getting nasty 
comments on you like showing a gorgeous photo of yourself because contractually like you're not supposed to enjoy your beauty or you're not supposed to like show other people how sensual you are or how sure of your sexuality you are. So there's those kinds of contracts like women should be this way. Uh, there's only two genders. We all have to behave this way, like like and on and on and on. So there's those expectations and those contracts. And then there are contracts around um, interpersonal silent contracts, right? Where like folks mm -hmm. don't say anything and then they create these relational patterns uh, because folks aren't sharing honestly about what they need or about what they want or one person decides to do something differently or relate in a different way. And then there's, you know, so I think about this like spectrum, but yes, of course, contract contracts where it did show up on like in every level you could literally think of. But I also, for me, this was a time of breaking, also breaking energetic contracts around like the toxic expectations of other people around me. Um, mm, and that mm -hmm. ultimately was like, it's very, again, it's very difficult, but it's very hard when say, you know, you relate, you've related to someone in this one way, or you've been this certain person for someone or the way they've seen it in, in one way. And then, uh, you know, they can't deal with, uh, you transforming or changing or having a boundary or all of those things. So that's been, that's been, it's yeah. Like now that I'm looking back and listening to everything you're saying, it's, it's been a lot of work, but it's been really helpful because now I know what sort of baseline energetic structure I need to operate from to stay in my integrity and my own alignment. Mm, that is beautiful. Yeah. What is the Cancer Capricorn axis of not integrity? And the idea of contracts beyond just the pen to paper or maybe rather like um, hand to keyboard at this point um is really important and yeah we have emotional and social and energetic contracts that influence us just as much and so i i wish you all the best with the rest of this transit and all i'm saying is that i feel like your book launch is going to be really lovely um you've got jupiter heading it's going to be on your midheaven when the book launches like exactly um, and then it's going to go into your 10th house, which is again, more about career and everything. So I couldn't have planned it any better. You are so naturally intuitive and the universe just teed it up for you, I think. So, well, I'll have to get a reading with you because again, like, I don't even know anything. I don't, I don't really use astrology in the same way that many people do. So yeah. I kind of, I keep certain things a mystery. <laughs> I actually think that is lovely because you know there are so many things in this world that you know i never want to use astrology to the point where you use where you lose the sort of delight and surprise of the unexpected happening to you um because that makes life so sweet right <laughs> yeah. um i have one last question for you before we go um, I love asking folks like you who are so experienced um, to help the, the new beginners. So I'm curious about what do you wish you knew when you first started your magical practice? Or maybe in this case, like when you first started working with the moon? I wish I knew that there was 
no wrong way to do it. I wish I knew that ultimately for me personally and my practice, a lot of my magical practice is around really refining and working with my energy. So Mm -hmm. I wish that I had spent more time doing that kind of magic which literally requires nothing, like that <laughs> one tool. Uh, yep. uh, and and I also wish I knew, I mean, I know that we're, um, we're in a state of great change on all levels. And it seems like anytime we talk about anything at this time, it's an understatement. So I don't want to sound like I'm, I'm not expressing how, uh, what a gravitous time this is. I I I wish like there's a lot of discussions now within magical practice around theft, cultural appropriation, uh, you know, uh assimilation, colonization, extraction. And I wish that there were more conversations being had about that when I started. And I wish that it had been um really presented to me that some form of ancestral practice, whether that be really, really simple, uh, such as reading about, if you have the privilege to know the sort of vague area where you came from, or if you have a more direct line, I wished that I had known earlier how meaningful and potent and important that aspect of a magical path was going to be for me because I found it out many years in, but you know, you don't know what you know. And, <laughs> but I would, that that's what I would suggest is like to anyone listening to really like, apart from this, apart from what I'm saying, apart from the internet, apart from books, like really take time to think about what the foundation of your magical practice is because the other thing I have noticed, and I most certainly had this misconception when I first started, I've noticed that sometimes the way that magical practices are presented are mimicking or echoing the sort of capitalist, consumerist, extractive structures, for lack of a better word, of dominant culture. And magic is this thing that exists outside of that. And I just want to sort of underscore, uh, I want to underscore that. And that's something that I wish I had taken much more seriously uh, as soon as Mm -hmm. I began, because it took me a couple years to parse out that, you know, that programming. So, yeah. Absolutely. That's a wonderful takeaway. Thank you so much for sharing. This has been so terrific. Thank you so much for sharing about all of your lunar practices and sharing your chart with me and with the listeners. And I wish you all the best for a wonderful book release. Where can we find you on the internet? (laughs) Oh, you can find me. Let's see. I have the web, the moon. So you can just, if you're interested in the book, you can just go to themoonbook.com. Oh, that so. is delightfully elegant. Yes. Yeah. And I'll link to uh, it in the show notes, of course. Yeah. So 
And then I have a I have an Instagram. I mean, I think you can find it pretty easily. And then I have the my shop. Uh, the URL of my shop is modernwomenprojects.com. And that's where you can uh, check out more, uh, read blog entries and sign up for the newsletter and all of the things. Wonderful. Sounds great. I'm sure everybody will. Thank you for joining me and have a very happy Halloween. You too. <laughs>